This morning we're going to wrap up our series entitled God's Masterpiece. And we've been talking about over the last few weeks how do we embrace the process of change. How do we embrace what God is wanting to do as he is shaping and forming and fashioning us into the image of his son Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is not on the screen but I want to share it with you. It's our foundational verse. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. You are a beautiful created image in the eyes of God. And God is forming and fashioning us every single day. We talked about the four chisels that God uses as a master sculptor to uh, sculpt us into his image. We talked about God uses his word. God uses the Holy Spirit. God uses people and God uses circumstance to cut away the things in our life that don't belong and to perfect the things in our heart and our lives that do belong so we can become more and more like Jesus. Last Sunday we talked about the four joys of the process, right? We said that when you're going through the process of becoming what God has called you to be, the process is painful, right? There's pain in the process. But Ephesians chapter 12 tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, right? Jesus recognized that on the other side of pain was the promise of joy. There was great joy at the end of the process. And so we talked about the joy of sonship, right? What it means to be sons and daughters of God. We talked about the joy of holiness, the joy of righteousness, and the joy of leadership. And how if we can begin to look ahead, we can recognize on the other side of the process, there is a reward. There is joy to come as we stay true to what God is really desiring to do in our lives. And if we abandon the process, then we actually abandon the reward that comes from pressing through and experiencing the joy on the other side. So this morning, uh, we're going to kind of just step a little bit further, and we're actually going to talk today about three things that kind of hinder the process of change, three things that uh, keep us really from being shapeable and pliable in the hands of God. And then we're going to close up this morning, and I'm going to share with you what I believe to be one of the greatest keys to change, one of the most transformational keys to change, and how if we can grab hold of this one thing, it really does open the door for the work of God's grace to come in and consistently move us into what God is calling us to be. But let's look at our first thought together this morning. So our lives cannot be shaped into the will of God without change, right? Change is necessary. We can't become the person God wants us to be. We can't be shaped into his will, into his image. We can't do the things God wants us to do without change. Change is necessary and change is needful. Now the reality is, is none of us like change, right? The only person that likes change is the person whose idea it was, Right? If you want to change something, you love the idea of changing things. But if it's not your idea, the rest of us are resistant to change. But change is necessary. We have to change in order to be shaped into the will and the image of Jesus Christ. And that last statement is just a little reiteration of what we talked about. So the speed of change is determined by how well we respond to the hand of God, right? So if I resist the hand of God and I resist change, then it slows down the process. Instead of me quickly becoming what God's called me to be, I am slowly becoming what God has called me to be. And I don't know about you, I need the grace of God in my life. I believe and desire real lasting 
change. Amen? And so I need to learn how to embrace the process of change and allow God's hand to shape me. Because if I will surrender to the hand of God, you know what will happen? It will accelerate the work of transformation in my life. And we can go from glory to glory and from faith to faith as God moves us more and more into the image of God. So let's talk about uh, the three things. Let's look at our scripture first. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 3 says this. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. In the parentheses, I put the King James word because I just like the image. It says it was marred in his hands. So he crushed it into a lump again and started over. So the clay was marred in his hands. So he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Let me give you an initial thought today. Let me get your mind thinking about how important it is that we embrace the process of change. Look at that next statement on the screen. If we don't learn how to respond appropriately, we will consistently be starting over. If we don't learn how to respond appropriately, we will consistently be starting over. The Bible says that when the vessel was marred, when it became unshapeable and unpliable in the hand of the master, he had to break it down and start over. Now, the good news of the gospel is that no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how bad you've screwed up, no matter how deep in sin and darkness you have found yourself, there is grace in God and you can start over today. Amen. Isn't that good news? The good news of the gospel is that you can start over. But let me just say this to you. God's plan for your life is not that you live a life of consistently starting over. God's best for your life is that you start over with a brand new slate and then you actually begin to grow to maturity. Because the problem with starting over is this. Here it is. The problem with starting over is that every time you start over, you have to start over. Right? That's the problem. The problem with starting over is that every time you start over, you actually have to start over. So imagine, I was, I was talking, we've got some runners in the church, and, and, and Mike, Mike Palmer was in our last service. Mike Palmer ran a 50-mile race one time. I'm like, man, it makes me tired to drive 50 miles. So I can't even imagine that. But I thought, well, what about a 5K? Let's just imagine if you were running a 5K, we're going to do a 5K for our youth this year. We're going to have a 5K fundraiser in September. Imagine we're running a 5K, and imagine that you got to mile marker number one, and then you had to start over. And you got to mile marker number one, and then you had to start over. Guess what? You would never win the race. Who would win the race? The person that didn't have to start over. And many times, think about it, as Americans, we have become experts at starting over, right? We'll get married, that don't work out, I'll just get married again. And that don't work, I'll just get married again. And that don't work, I'll just get married again. We go from one marriage to another marriage, one family to another family. One job to another job, one career to another career, right? One financial setback to another financial setback to another financial setback, right? Hey, it even comes in church. We'll go from one church to another church to another church. We're just going to start over. But the only problem with that is every time you start over, guess what? You have to start over. Every time you start over, you have to start over. Now, I understand there are times in our lives where we have to start over because of the choices and decisions of other people. 
But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the times in our lives that we started over because we became resistant to the hand of change. And instead of letting God shape us and transform us into what he wanted us to be, we marred in the hand of God. And he had to beat us back to a little lump of clay. And we're going to start over again. Let me tell you three things that are key. Three things that you'll never experience unless you learn how to press through and move on to maturity. Let me tell you three things that will happen. Three experiences you'll get. If you can press through the race and if you say, you know what, I'm going to refuse to keep starting over. I'm going to learn how to grow to maturity. You know what will happen? Number one, you will experience momentum. See, if you're constantly starting over, you'll never gain momentum. You'll never get the momentum. In leadership, they call it the big mo, right? You get the momentum. You ever been in a spot where everything was working, man? You were just doing this and doing that, and everything you were doing turned to gold, and all of a sudden it's like you're an unstoppable force, right? Because you've got momentum. Guess what? If you're constantly starting over, you never gain momentum. The story's told of a, of a locomotive, of a, of a train. If a train's going 55 miles an hour, it can bust through a 10-foot block wall and never slow down. But if that train is stopped and you put a chip of concrete under the front wheel, it'll never get going. One chip can stop it or 10 walls, 10, 10 feet of walls can't stop it. What's the difference? Momentum. If you're constantly starting over, you never gain momentum. And many Christians never experience the momentum of success, the momentum of victory, the momentum of grace in their life. Why? Because they're constantly having to start over and start over and start over again. The second thing that happens if you're constantly starting over is not only do you never gain momentum, but you never gain stability. See, you've got to continue in something long enough to become stable at it. Most marriages that end in divorce end in divorce before three years. And the reality is in, in three years' time, you ain't even figured out how to be married yet. Right? When we do pre-marriage counseling, Kelly and I, we tell couples all the time, marriage has bumps, right? The road to marriage is full of little bumps, and you've got to stay married long enough to press through some of the bumps and bruises so you can actually create some stability that you can build your family on. Financially, think about this for a minute. If you never, if you never get out of debt long enough, if you never stay out of debt long enough, you'll never be able to save money and build financial stability, See, if you go from debt to debt to debt to debt to debt to debt to debt, you know what happens? You're never, you never get to a place where you can begin to save and invest your money and become financially stable. Why? Because you keep starting over. Well, we lost that. We'll try that again. Well, that didn't work. We'll try that again. We overspent here and we'll try that again. And what happens is you, know, you never gain stability spiritually. I see it all the time. People don't stay connected long enough to get stable spiritually. They don't stay in the Word. They don't stay in church. They don't stay in small groups. They don't commit to serve. And you know what? Six months later, you can't find them. Why? Because they never stay connected long enough to, to, to get stability in their life. Right? you got to keep on. The third thing that happens, if, if, you, if you're constantly starting over, you lose momentum. You never gain momentum. You never get stability. And this is important. You never leave a legacy. See, the only legacy you leave if you consistently start over is you just show people how to start over and over and over. But wouldn't it be great if instead of showing your kids just how to start over, if you showed them how to succeed? 
Wouldn't it be great if you showed them how to build a healthy marriage, if you showed them how to financially overcome, if you showed them how to successfully love God and serve God and serve in ministry over a long period of time, and all of a sudden you begin to leave a legacy. If you're constantly starting over, there's no legacy. You've not beaten down a path long enough to leave a trail for somebody else to follow. But when you, when, you, when you stay the course, when you press through the pain, when you embrace the joy, when you say, God, I'm in this for the long haul, you know what will happen? You'll start gaining momentum. You'll start creating, creating stability, and you'll start leaving a legacy. And those are joys and experiences you'll never know outside of pressing on beyond a starting over Christian life. I've met some Christians, it seems like that's their whole philosophy of Christianity. Well, I'm just going to start over every Sunday. Recommit on Sunday, mess up on Monday. Recommit on Sunday, mess up on Monday. I want to tell you what a miserable way to live your life. What a miserable way to live your life. Why? Because every time you start over, you got to start over. So let's talk about three, three things. I want you to see this. Three things that cause us to be marred or three things that cause us to become unshapeable in the hand of God. We're going to relate with all three of these. Number one is pride. We can all relate with pride, right? Pride causes you to mar in the hand of God. Pride causes you to become unshapeable and no longer moldable in the hand of heaven. Pride causes you to have to start over. I wonder how many times we've started over in life because of pride. Let me just be honest with you. Kelly and I, early on in our marriage, we made a very poor financial decision. We bought something we really shouldn't have bought, really couldn't afford to buy it. But because of pride... I was afraid to talk to people and let other people in. I was so embarrassed of the decision we made. I knew it was the wrong decision after we made it, but I didn't feel like there was any way out. And so instead of inviting other people into our journey, into our struggle, we just buckled down and did the best we knew how to do. And the best we knew how to do was not good enough. We needed wisdom. We needed experience. We needed somebody that had been where he'd been. And we look back now, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, what ended up being a multi-year struggle could have ended shortly. If it had not been for pride, right? Oh, if I tell them I messed up, what are they going to think? They're going to think you're human, right? They're going to think, boy, I'm glad I'm not the only one that does dumb things. Welcome to the party, right? But pride, pride causes us to have to start over. Let me give you a couple scriptures. We're going to talk about that statement on the screen. Look at Proverbs. The Bible says this, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. A man's pride will bring him low. Look at Daniel. This is speaking about King Nebuchadnezzar. When his heart was lifted up, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in what? Hardened in what? His spirit was hardened in pride. Because of pride, he became unshapeable. Because of pride, he became unmoldable. Because of pride, he was unwilling to bend and be made into what God was calling him to be. And look what the scripture says. Because of pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. He lost his place of authority, and he lost his glory. What God intended him to have, he lost because of pride. Because his heart came hardened to the point that he was no longer shapeable by the hand of the Lord. James chapter 4, we all know this scripture, right? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let's go back to that first point. Let's talk about pride. Pride resists change. Why does pride resist change? Pride resists change because pride believes everyone else is the problem. I mean, listen, I love to listen to people. 
Man, you listen to people talk, and this is what they say. Man, our marriage would be great if my spouse would do right. Our family would be great if our kids would do right. I would be financially prosperous if my employer would just pay me what I'm worth. Man, I, my world would be wonderful if the government would just get their act together. Right? Spiritually, I, I'd really be growing in the Lord. But you know, my church, they just really struggle in certain areas, and I'm not learning all that I need to learn. Y'all ever hear that stuff? People blame people all the time. Let me just give you a great thought here this morning. Anytime you find yourself blaming someone else for your lack of success, maturity, or growth, it's called pride. Blame is pride. Every time you point your finger of blame, well, the reason I'm not growing, the reason I'm not maturing, the reason I'm not further along, the road is because of her, because of him, because of them. That little finger is your indicator. It ought to be a little bell that rings, pride, pride, pride. I am prideful. See, I'm resisting change. Why am I resisting change? Because I think you're the problem. And then this is what we do. It happens all the time in marriages. How much time do we spend praying for God to change our spouse? Oh, Lord, change him. Lord, if you just change him, we'd be happy. God, if you just change him, Lord, change his heart, change your mind, change this, change that, change this, change that. Not, not ever do we even think we could possibly be the problem. Right? How much time and energy do we spend asking God to change people? Now, if they're lost and they're going to hell, they need to be changed. Right? But how much time do we spend, right? God, if you just change, change old Charlie that I work with. God, I, I'd love my job if it wasn't for Charlie. And God's thinking all the time, if I could change you, Charlie, get saved. I mean, think about it. Lord, change, see, because that's what pride does. Pride deflects responsibility from me to you, and I'm not even thinking about change. I'm not praying about change. I'm not looking to change because I believe everybody else is the problem. Right? There's an old saying that says if Charlie has a problem with everybody, Charlie is the problem. Right? If Charlie has a problem with his wife and has a problem with his kids and has a problem with his supervisor, has a problem with the people at church, has a problem with the people at work, has a problem here and a problem there, and guess what? Guess who the problem is? Charlie. But Charlie never knows he's the problem. You know why? Because he's full of pride. And pride will creep in in your life and my life. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves pointing the finger of blame and saying, God, Lord, if you just change them, my life would be better. And God's saying, that finger is a dinner bell or a little alarm bell. Pride, pride, pride. Lord, change me. Lord, change me. Lord, change me. The second thing that hinders our growth is rebellion. Pride resists change, rebellion fights change, because rebellion just doesn't want to change. Let me give you a great scripture, and we'll come back to this slide. Great scripture, John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus is speaking, one of the greatest pieces of revelation in the entire Bible. Jesus tells us where condemnation comes from. Condemnation doesn't come from God. God doesn't condemn you. We condemn ourselves. And the Bible tells us how it works right here. And this is condemnation. Where does condemnation come from? This is condemnation, Jesus said, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You are condemned because God shows you his way, but you choose your way. God says, here's the light, walk in it, and you say, well, I like the darkness better. I like the way I've been living. God, I don't want to change. I don't want to change my attitude. Right? Let's think about attitude for a minute. 
Think about that. Let's, let's go back to that last slide if we can. Think about attitude. Rebellion fights against change because rebellion doesn't want to change. Most people, if you're not careful, we're all subject to this, we'll get a bad attitude. We'll just get a bad attitude. And how many of you know that when you get a bad attitude about a person, about a job, about a situation, about a circumstance, once you get a bad attitude about it, you can't see anything good in it. Right, You get a bad attitude about it and you can't see anything good about that circumstance. And God's working on you and he's trying to change your attitude. And you're like, well, Lord, you know, if they'll change, I'll change. Because pride and rebellion go hand in hand, right? Pride says, well, God, what do you mean I need to change my attitude? Have you seen the way she treated me? Have you seen the way he treated me? Did you see what they did to me? My attitude's just fine. If they would get right, I'll do better. Pride and rebellion. Right? Our attitude, it's kind of like the guy, he went to sleep on the couch and his son came in and rubbed Lindberger cheese under his bottom, under his, under his, on his lip. He woke up from his nap, he took a sniff, he said, man, the living room stinks. He walked in the kitchen, took a sniff, he said, man, the kitchen stinks. He walked out on the back porch and took a sniff, man, the whole world stinks. And that's what happens when you get a bad attitude. Your whole world stinks and you're the problem. But we many times don't want to change. Well, Lord, we again, pride and rebellion go hand in. Well, Lord, I'll change my attitude if they'll change theirs. You're going to let their sin keep you in a place of starting over and over and over again. And you're never going to grow to maturity. Think about that. The Lord spoke this to me this morning. He said, Keith, anger is one of the big things we don't want to let go of. And here's why. The Lord showed me this. He said, he said, because of anger, this is what we do. We have learned how to use anger to manipulate people to get our way. Right? You come home from work and you pitch a fit and everybody leaves you alone and you're like, finally, I got peace. Right? You go to work and you pitch a fit and everybody leaves you alone and you're like, finally, I got peace. And what you have done is you have learned how to manipulate people through anger. Right? And guess what? You're always starting over because nobody can stand to be around you for about more than six months. Right, because everybody's having to walk on eggshells. Man, how's Charlie going to be today? He going to be angry? Is he going to be in a good mood, a bad mood? I don't even know how to tell you. Let's just leave Charlie alone. And on the inside, Charlie's thinking, man, I got it made. All I got to do is pitch a little fit, scream a little bit, yell a little bit, and they'll, they'll, they'll all do what I want them to do. That's called anger and manipulation, and it's sin. But many people don't want to get rid of that because that's how they have learned to control their family. Well, Lord, if I stop pitching a fit, how am I going to get them to do what I want them to do? Well, maybe they won't. And maybe doing what you want them to do ain't the solution anyway. So we have to understand, rebellion fights change because rebellion says, I don't want to change. Let's think about just spinning habits for a minute. We are a nation in debt. Because we like to change. I mean, we like to spend money we don't have. And everybody knows it, right? Everybody knows two plus two is four. And if you spend more money than you make, you're going to go in debt and you're going to lose everything you got. But we just keep doing it. Why don't we change? Is it because there's no light? No. We just like darkness. God, I, I like to be able to go out and buy what I want to buy when I want to buy it. Even though we can't really afford it right now. And guess what happens? You got to start over. Why? Because you end up losing what you got. Now you got to buy another truck. You got to buy another car. You got to buy another house. You got to move to a different apartment. You got to go to a different place. And you got to see if you can get another job. And all of a sudden, your life is just constantly starting over financially because you love your darkness more than light. 
It's not rocket science. Spend less than you make. Everybody knows that. Fifth grader, you can ask him. If he thinks about it, he'll be able to give you an intelligent answer. If you want to prosper, you probably got to spend less than you make. But we love darkness. We hold on to it. It's called rebellion. And it causes us to mar in the hands of God. We become unshakable, unshapeable, and unpliable. And guess what happens? We end up having to start over and over and over again. And we wonder, why can't I prosper financially? Because you're holding on to the very thing that's destroying you. Third thing, here it is, fear. Fear. Fear is intimidated by change. Because fear always, always fear allows the what-ifs to cause us to draw back from the hand of God. Pride resists change. Rebellion fights change. But fear is intimidated by change, right? The what-ifs. God, what if I change and it doesn't work? What if I try and I can't change? Right? What if you give me an opportunity? Because this works positive and negative. God will open. You'll be praying for opportunities. God will open a door of opportunity. And now you're like, well, God, what if I can't do that? I've never done that before. God, what if? What if it doesn't work? What if I can't change? What if I can't sustain it? What if I can't maintain it? What if I can't really do what I know you said I could do, but I'm not sure that I can do it? So, God, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to allow fear to cause me to draw back. Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to see this. The Bible says, for we are not of those who draw back to perdition. The word perdition means destruction. But, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. When you draw back from the hand of God, guess what you do? You set yourself up into a place of destruction. So imagine a potter shaping a, 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 a piece of pottery. And he gets halfway done and he takes it off the wheel and sets it in the floor and leaves it there for 20 years. That's what fear does to you. Fear takes you off the potter's wheel. Sets you in the floor. And here's the tragedy of fear. Not only do you draw back, but now you're doomed to stay the same. Because the only way the clay can become what it's intended to be is it has to stay on the potter's wheel. Fear removes you from the potter's wheel. Fear locks you into a place of the same. And I'm just going to be the same, right? I mean, I see it all the time. You talk to people, they're fighting the same battles, the same struggles, walking around the same mountains that they have been for 20 years. You know why? Because of fear. They've allowed fear to keep them from embracing the hand of God. They've allowed fear to keep them from placing themselves on the potter's wheel and saying, God, shape me and change me and form me and fashion me and make me into the person you want me to be. And they spend the rest of their life fighting the same battles. Now, the reality is, is there's always battles, but I'm excited. I get to fight new ones. <laughs> Amen. Let's take some new territory. Let's fight some new demons. Let's conquer some more mountains. Let's climb some greater hills. Let's go some new places. Hey, if I'm always going to be fighting, let's at least fight for something new. Fear keeps you from that. So here's the key. Let's look at this. The last key. Here it is. This is, this is the revelation I want to share with you. The key to change is a revelation of the perfect love of God. The key to change is a revelation of the perfect love of God. You might say, well, Pastor Keith, it can't be that simple. It is that simple. It is a revelation of the love of God. I want you 
I want you to see this. Perfect love empowers us to change. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love eradicates pride. Perfect love squashes rebellion. Right? When I encounter the perfect love of God, you know what happens? When I encounter the perfect love of God, it creates, number one, it eradicates fear. Right? When I begin to realize that God really loves me, I mean, I'm, not, I'm talking about really loves me. He loves me, loves me, loves me, loves me. I'm talking about it went from information to revelation. See, when it drops from your head to your heart, it goes from information to revelation. When it really gets down in your spirit, it goes from information to revelation. Information you can talk me out of. Revelation, I'm, I'm locked in. Right? Come hell or high water, if it's revelation, I got it. Right? Information, I can be swayed. Revelation, I'm going to stand on that. Because it's done bypass my mind. It's done sunk into my spirit. And now there's something to me that says, I know that I know that I know that God is for me and not against me. That God loves me and cares for me. And guess what? I don't have to be afraid. Perfect love casts out fear. And now the what ifs are silence. What if it doesn't work? God says it will. What if I can't maintain it? God will sustain me. What if I don't, I'm not strong enough? God says I'm more than enough. Amen. All of a sudden, the perfect love of God casts out fear. Perfect love eradicates pride. Right? When I begin to really realize how much God loves me, all of a sudden, I begin, I begin to realize how much God loves me. And my pride, my own, I want to do it my way, begins, begins to be eradicated because all of a sudden I realize my way has been the wrong way. <laughs> and God's way has been perfect every single time. I can look back on my life, just honest, just be honest this morning. If you look back on your life, every time you did life God's way, it may not have been easy, but it did work. Every time you did life your way, it didn't work. It left you hurting, it left you broken. It left you void. And you probably found yourself starting over because I did it my way. And all of a sudden, that pride is squished. And all of a sudden, a, a humility rises up. Out of the revelation love of God, now there's a humble spirit that rises up in me that wants to submit to God. I want to do what God wants me to do because he loves me. Rebellion is squashed, right, by the love of God. When I get that revelation of the love of God, you know what happens? That rebellious spirit in me, begins to fade away. Why would I not want to follow the one that has consistently fought for me, that has consistently done good for me, that is consistently working for me? There is nobody else in your life like God that is planning and working for your success and your promotion. Nobody like God. And when you begin to realize that, rebellion and pride and fear begin to vanquish away. Oh, they're still there and we still have to fight them, but they lose their power. Because the perfect love of God eradicates. Look at a couple of scriptures. First John chapter 4 says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has been made per but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And I want to close with this. This is a prayer out of the book of Ephesians. Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers. And this is his prayer. I want you to see this. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, look at this first part, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The first thing he prays, prays for is that they would be strengthened on the inside by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would strengthen them, that there would be an empowerment in their inner man by God's spirit. And then look at this next part.
are. There we go. He says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Rooted and grounded in what? Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Paul prayed, my prayer for you is that you'd be rooted and grounded in love because if you ever get rooted and grounded in love, you're going to begin to understand the length, the depth, the height, the width of the love of God. And that perfect love will pass knowledge. What does it mean to pass knowledge? It means it goes from information to revelation. Right? Information, God loves me. Revelation, God loves me. And I can stand in that love. And then look at this last part because here it is. Here's the key to change. If you're rooted and grounded in love, and you begin to comprehend the depth, the height, the width of the love of God. And look what he says. Then you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. How do you become the person God wants you to be? Perfect love. It's the key to change. I begin to get a revelation of the perfect love of God, and guess what happens? Every day, because of the perfect love of God, I overcome my fears. Every day, because of the perfect love of God, I surrender pride to humility. Every day, because of the love of God, my rebellious spirit becomes a submissive spirit. And every day, because of the love of God, I am filled a little more with the fullness of God and a little more with the fullness of God. And every day, I'm becoming more and more and more and more who Jesus wants me to be. Why? Because perfect love cast out fear, eradicates pride, squashes out rebellion, and creates in me a heart that says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes to the chisel. Yes to the pain. Yes to the process. God, I'm hanging on. I'm holding on. I'm pressing on. I'm going to persevere. Why? Because you love me. And your love's always good. And I've tried everything else and nothing else compares to the love of God. I want you just to bow your heads this morning. If you're here today and you've never experienced that love, and you're kind of standing on the outside looking in, I want to tell you today, as much as I've tried to communicate the reality of the love of God, my words fall so short. His love is more than anything I could ever describe. His love is grander, more beautiful, more deep, more real, more genuine than anything your heart has ever even imagined. And it's yours. It's yours. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, you can tap into the love of God through a personal relationship with Jesus. You can ask Him to forgive you of your sins, your pride, your rebellion, your fear. And today you can jump headlong into the arms of God and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my past. Lead me into my future. Be my Lord and my Savior. If you're here today and you want to make that decision and you want to trust Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want you just a simple act of faith, just to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a simple act. I want to make a decision today. A simple act of faith. I'm raising my hand. I've never known that love. 
I've never known that kind of love. I want to know it today. I want to trust Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Just a simple act. God, I'm raising my hand today because I believe. I believe. God bless that hand. Just a simple act. I want to give you about five more seconds, and we're going to pray a prayer together. This is a great opportunity for you this morning to know the love of God. More real, more powerful than anything you've ever known. God bless that hand that's went up. Let's pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with me. Let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life and be my Lord and Savior. I confess that Jesus is Lord of my life and I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Fill me with perfect love. Thank you for saving me. I choose you today. In Jesus' name, amen.